reading scripture is from 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10. Uh, the living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Cheryl. So you can see there, this is actually um, right at the start of Peter. The, the part we're focusing on this morning is this bit here, but it's always good to read Scripture. If, if, if there's verses that are important that come in a context, it's always good to put in the work to read it in the context because otherwise, you know, I think we all know this, if you're around, you can kind of get Scripture to say anything if you're kind of clever, particularly if you take it out of its context. Have you heard that thing about... Scripture without the context, if you take the text out of context, it becomes a con. It's kind of a good, um, you'll never hear Josh say something like that, but uh, it's a good thing. So we, we're looking at this bit here, a bit too cliche, but I like those things that you can kind of remember. It's even better when it rhymes. That, did that rhyme? Didn't really rhyme, no. Um, so we're going to look at that, but uh, as we go in, this is so rich, this text. And this idea of um, we, are the, we are the church, we're looking at we are the people of God. I'm going to do my best in a reasonably short amount of time to uh, skate over the top of just one of the richest kind of theological ideas. It's a thread that goes all the way from Genesis. All I am going to sort of just give us a sense of that because this is just one of the big ideas. We are the people of God. Um, this uh, and so what I'm going to do as we go through this, got some scriptures to look at. I'm going to do a thing where I'm going to, um, at times, you'll notice I'll assert some things. So you know, having conversation and someone just says, "Well, it's dumb," and they just put an idea down there as though everybody agrees. That's called asserting something. It's not really a great thing to do if you're trying to convince people of something. To go, well, just everyone. Usually, if people aren't convinced, they just back out. Right, oh, well, if there's no conversation. Um, I'm going to just put a couple of ideas here this morning for the sake of time and brevity when we go through that are really quite uncontroversial. Um, and anyone who's spent any time looking at, at the totality of what God says to his people through Scripture kind of agree on. There might be another time when we come and unpack it because it's really good. Like, I love... Um, I love Beef Masamun. I love curry in general. And just up the road from us is a great Thai restaurant. And so I love just going and enjoying a beef masamun. But actually it's been really good to try and learn how to cook it from first principles. And I can actually even go to the little 
Woolies Metro there um, that Aurora works in. Is Aurora here this morning? Yay. Rep- no, she's not here. Anyway, and you can actually get one of those kits, and that's kind of good. I feel like I'm making it, but then I've had actually had a crack at doing it from scratch. Now, one of those things is proper cooking. And it's really demonstrating your understanding. It's really good for us in our faith to know how to construct things and understand things from first principles. We're going to not do that. Some of those things today. I'm just going to sort of put them there. Please know that you are always welcome. And in fact, I would love it. Um, If there's something that I sort of put down there and you kind of go, I'm not sure about that or I'd like to know more. You go straight to the top of my list, my long list of things to do this week to have a conversation and unpack. There is literally nothing I like to do more than that, to unpack something some, something with someone over a couple where they go, didn't really understand that or tell me about that. Um, so you're most welcome to do that. So we're going to jump into, so that's just a bit of a warning. There's going to be a, a bunch of things we'll go through here. The other thing I wanted to do first is a little bit of a kind of a run-up to build a ramp um, sort of biblically or theologically here is to back up over something that Josh said uh, and presented in the very first week. So I'm not sure if any of you remember. He um, he put this little uh, or something, a little graphic up there uh, where he talked about the relationship between the kingdom of God and the church. And uh, particularly when we're talking about the people of God and understanding what, what is God is saying here, I think it's really good to refresh. Actually, I reckon this is just when Josh did this. It's one of those things, and he does this from time to time, People who are really gifted as teachers kind of give you little tools you kind of put in your back pocket and use. And this is one of those things that's a really good tool to remember to to get the most out of what God says. There is a difference between the kingdom of God and the church. That kind of almost sounds heretical. But the kingdom of God is one of the ways I've just got a bit of a working definition. It's wherever life is ordered around the values of Jesus, of King Jesus Christ. So, whose life is ordered here this morning? You could put your hand, you don't have to put your hand up. But if your life is kind of, now you might be not great at ordering it, but the intent of your life is to say, Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to try and, as to the degree to which I can understand what Jesus is talking about, how life should be lived, and the kingdom of God, and what God sort of explains, I'm going to shape my world around that. If that's you then you are part of the kingdom of God because you are like a subject. You're in the realm of the kingdom of God. Jesus actually speaks mostly. That's his main subject, the kingdom of God. This is going to shock you a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Jesus doesn't talk that much about the church because it kind of hadn't shaped yet. He talks a lot about the people of God. He doesn't talk that much about the church. Here's something that won't shock you. Maybe it's shock you coming from a pastor. The church can absolutely, you know, particularly pastors, but all of us, if we're honest, can be like that annoying person at the party that can't stop talking about itself. Sometimes when we worship, we kind of talk about the church. It's actually the goal of the church, God's people, is the kingdom of God. Manifesting in hearts and lives and in our communities the values of, of the kingdom of God as Jesus taught. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed and it's like, um, it's, it's the kingdom of God, he does all these parables that talk about grace, talk about forgiveness, that talk about generosity. Jesus is king, this is what it looks like to live in that realm. 
So the kingdom of God is big and bold. And there are, if we look at organisation, you think of a church, well, there are lots of different aspects of the kingdom of God. There's a bunch of people here who work for a Christian school. That's absolutely what that school is doing, is ordering itself around the values of the kingdom, the best it can. There are others here who work for um, Christian organisations. There are others here who might be a part of groups that aren't a part of local church where absolutely the goal is to order yourself around the kingdom of God and that's a really good thing. That's the goal. The church is the collective name for those who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. The church with a capital C across all time and all places. So um, Mother Teresa was part of the church with a capital C even though she outworked her faith in, for the most time in Kolkata um, uh, you know, years ago, you go back to Martin Luther and all that, that's all part of the church collectively. Now, I'm going to introduce another little one here, which is the local church, which is what Cornerstone is. So, a local church is a specific group of believers with an agreed set of beliefs and practices around things like worship, fellowship, discipleship, worship again, because I really like it, and mission. So local church is like, it's like saying, how do we think the values of the kingdom should be outworked in our time and our place? So we would or should expect that what Cornerstone looks like, because it's a church that has a very clear set of context, would look very different to a local church in a community in Southeast Asia or Africa. But it's all, and here's how I'd represent it. The local church is kind of like this. It's all a part of the church. Now, Josh's point was that if we're really honest, because the church, globally, with a capital C, and the local church, is actually full of people like you and me, guess what? Again, shocking truth. Sometimes there's some stuff where we don't get it right. So there's some stuff in the church, and absolutely the local church, where we're kind of going, you know what, sometimes with hindsight, sometimes, uh, sometimes we might never, where we go, you know what, that probably wasn't our, the best attempt at representing the kingdom of God. We would hope, it kind of looks like that, wouldn't we? We'd hope that it'd be overlapping. There's also some stuff in the, uh, in the broader kingdom of God that aren't, isn't necessarily about the local church. Um, or, or the church, where, where you are involved in doing things, and I say this all the time, and I hope you hear it, you don't need permission from any elder or pastor in this church to, in your neighbourhood or workplace, act on behalf of Jesus Christ. You do if you want to act on behalf of Cornerstone Christian Church. Do you see what I'm saying there? So there is, there's things that we're involved in, and it's, it's, it's good, it's right, but they're overlapping circles. Um, why is this important? Well, because really what we're looking at in Scripture here and what Jesus talks about is he talks about manifesting the church. The way I understand it, the way, the way I think is useful to think, the church and particularly the local church is the way in which Scripture says we could, should organize ourselves. I'm going to cash in some brownie points now. I don't know how many I've got. I'm going to cash them maybe all in. I don't see any space in Scripture for, even though it's true, and some of, of being a part of the people of God and not being a part of a local church. 
I don't see any space for that. Now, I've got lots of friends who do it. I don't think it's an issue of their salvation. I don't think it's an issue of whether they're good people or not. I just don't think it's the way God, I can't see anywhere in Scripture. Now, should it look like what Cornerstone looks like or should, not at all. We need a lot more different expressions of how we be a church, how we come together. There should be lots of different ways of practices around worship, fellowship, discipleship, worship, mission. But we do live in a time and a space, let me cash in the, the, the cookies now, where actually, because people actually feel like the local church has done such a terrible job, and they're probably not wrong all the time, maybe not, maybe a bit harsh sometimes, but there's some good reason, people kind of think, well, we'll just get on with doing this ourselves. Now, I absolutely understand the instinct. What I'm saying to you graciously, lovingly, um, this morning is the clarity if we're going to form our expectations about what Jesus and scripture believes about how the kingdom of God is manifest in a way that's meaningful and transformative it doesn't happen beyond the expression of the local church some of you have spent times where you've been between church I'm not talking about that or you kind of you're on the way out and on the way in somewhere I think there's so much grace and freedom in, in that I'm just saying from first principles, when we look about, when we talk about the church and it refers to that in scripture, there's, here's where I'm asserting something. There's not really any space to think about how that's organised beyond a group of people in a specific place at a specific time meeting together to worship, to fellowship. Now, there's lots of people who do church, I've got bunches of friends like this, who actually say, we're not a church, we're not into organised religion. I go, well, what's that saying? A rose by any other name? Or It's like, but okay, well, you can call it a community. Da, 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 that's fine. That's semantics. Um, I think it is good to be clear about, look, we might not use that, that sort of same language. We might think differently about it. It's good to be clear that, yeah, we're absolutely a part of what God is doing in, in, in the planet today. So I say all of that as a bit of a background because I think without some clarity there, you could read some things into Scripture that um, I would strongly suggest, in fact, I'd assert, again, and I'd, be, I'd assert it because, not because it's my idea, because I'm just standing in line with a whole lot of people who've spent a long time, over a period of time, believing this, that, um, uh, that if we want to be a part of what God's doing on the, on the planet, be a part of a fellowship of believers. Call it what you want, meet where you want, Meet for how long you want. More creativity around that we need, absolutely. But it's the local church. Is that okay? Graham at cornerstonechristianchurch.com.au. Come and have a cup of coffee with me. If we don't read that, I think we read things into Scripture that aren't there. And that won't help anyone. For all of the faults of the local church... And you think you see a lot, I'm a pastor, I'm on the inside, I could give you 10 more. For every one you give me, I'll give you 10 more. For all of that, it's still what, how God is choosing to bring the kingdom of God into this world. Um, and I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here this morning, I hope. We'll find out, we'll, well, my inbox will tell me. Here's the other quick thing. The Old Testament, the people of God, mostly refer to the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, the people of God, it includes the nation of Israel. And there was some particular, um, the nation of Israel, as in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, had 12 tribes. 
that family became a nation. The 12 tribes of Israel, Israel was a real person. Um, that became a nation. And so that was like God, the people of God were almost exclusively the people of Israel. The way I explain this, I was a, a teacher once, and as a phys ed teacher, when you explain something, particularly on an oval, what you often do if it's a new skill, you grab a student and you come and I would kind of teach that student for a while in front of all of the other students because that's the most effective. So it's like for a period of time, this student is getting sort of a, a, a focus and attention because my plan was to teach well everybody. It's kind of a little bit, again, I'm glad Josh is not here because that's got a, a couple of problems in it theologically, but broadly that's good enough. Do you get that idea? So that's the sense in which that, that student, I'm not saying they're more important and there's a way we can read some of these things in Scripture about the nation of Israel where we load up its sense of importance. It's not there. They're part of God's plan. But there was a specific function for that, that group of people. And so we see that in the Old Testament. But then we see through Jesus, it broadens out to be everybody because that was it's really clear from, from right from the start. That was God's plan. So we see that at play here. In this verse... When, uh, so Peter is actually speaking to, this, that, that last point's important because Peter is actually speaking to Christians mostly who have not been a part of the nation of Israel, what, what the Bible calls Gentiles, Greeks, Romans from other nations. And Peter's primarily talking to them. You know this idea I bang on about that scripture is written for you, but it's not written to you. So if you want to understand the full depth of it, understand who it was written to first. And then we kind of, there's all these different colors and meanings come out. So Peter is talking to people who aren't culturally, um, ethnically Jewish, primarily. But what he's doing here, and this is where we won't have time to do this in depth, there's so much wonderful stuff in this. He's actually reaching into the Old Testament and referencing a bunch of things that, that, that God talked about as the people of God when they were manifest as the nation of Israel, a whole lot of things there and he's dragging them into and saying, these now apply to you. And so somewhat controversial at the time, the likelihood is that those believers and probably most people living in that region would have some awareness of those things. So it wasn't like he was speaking of things they wouldn't know, but he's saying, hey, all of these things here, and there's a bit of shorthand, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and then talking about the declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Particularly these ones here, in the original language, when they heard that, they go, oh, he's talking about Israel, but he's saying it applies to us. Uh, and that was a bit puzzling there for a while. And what's happening is the purposes of God, the people of God are is everywhere. And that's what's going on there. And what I wanted to underline today is three, the people of God, when through Scripture, starts in Genesis, goes all the way through to Revelation, there's some sort of common elements. We, we use the people of God as a, like a little bit of a shorthand to talk about the church. We can do that kind of colloquially. The people of God, it's good to, I was with the people of God this morning, and that's totally fine. But actually, in this sense, there's like a theological thing. It's, it's there in the original language. It's whenever you see... Like in this passage, it's referring to some things. There's some elements of the people of God had this distinctives. 
This is what made them the people of God. And Peter's really underlining that in a very powerful way. And I just wanted to highlight three really key ones this morning. Because if we are, if he's true, and like I said, I think I've been clear about the fact that I think that's absolutely true as a local church, we should shape ourselves and shape our understanding of who we are according to what God says. That's the starting point. There's all sorts of cultural forces and historical forces that'll blow us this way or that way. And there's some adaptability in the way in which we are the church. That's imp- Some flexibility is important. But we should be tethered to some really big ideas. And it's really, really clear. When we cut ourselves off from some of these big ideas, it never goes well. We do it, for, we might say, we, sort of a new... A new way of, oh, we don't need to worry about covenant. We don't, man, that, that tends to last for about 10 or 15 years and then just go, um, no, we need to relearn some lessons. So that's what I'm saying. That's the purpose of us being rooted into these ideas because history is kind of the jury's in, as far as I'm concerned, about the health and the impact of the God's people, the church, expressed through the local church, manifesting the, bringing the kingdom of God to our city, and our neighbourhoods, is when we're clear about these things. So, very quickly, we're chosen and called by God, we're in a covenant relationship with God, and have a distinct identity and purpose from God. Those, a lot of you, these will make sense, and I'm actually just going to read a really some real shorthand here, because a lot of this stuff will make sense to you. Chosen and called. The people of God are chosen and called by God to be his special possession and representative on earth. In the Old Testament, this begins with God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants, where he says, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you into a great people. He, he has, and in fact, it begins even earlier in Genesis, where he says to Adam and Eve, he gives them an identity. Creation starts again with God's instinct with God's expression. He moves first and then he creates this amazing world and he puts Adam and Eve, he puts humanity in the middle and then does this thoroughly bizarre thing in the ancient world that the other gods and if you looked at the Greek and the Roman traditions and the pagan, no one does this. He gives them status and he actually says, you, you are going to have dominion and authority. Humanity wasn't just as it was in the, in the pagan religions, sort of the play thing, the expression of the ego of the gods. It's actually, he lifts them up. He chooses them. He talks about him choosing to be with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then we see the way in which, even when we stuff that up, he continues to choose us. And that rolls into this covenant relationship. The people of God are in a covenant relationship with him. In the Old Testament, God established the Mosaic Covenant, so that's with Moses, with the Israelites on Mount Sinai. This covenant includes laws, commands, promises, and blessings of obedience and consequences for disobedience. In the New Testament, Jesus inaugurates the New Covenant through his death and resurrection, which fulfills and surpasses the Old Covenant. A covenant, I know a lot of you will be familiar, a covenant is like the strongest kind of agreement you can get. And it's usually so strong and signified that it's sealed in blood. And so there's a covenant that made that said, this is so important 
that we're going to hold each other to it, that we're not going to break it. And it's like the, 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 the symbolic uh, symbolism of blood. It's like a, it's a blood oath, that kind of thing. Well, we couldn't keep up our bit. The people of God couldn't keep up our bit. But God continues to do that and finds a way through Jesus. And, of course, we're going to share com- uh, communion in a moment. And we see that even when we can't give up our, uh, uh, when we can't sort of um, fulfill our own end of that, he still chooses and calls us. So all the, all the hard work continues to be done by God towards us to, to maintain that covenant. Um, the last one, we have a distinct identity and purpose from God. 